0: One week ago, a jury in Minneapolis found former police officer Derek Chauvin guilty of killing George Floyd. In the year since Floyd's murder, protesters and activists have called for changes to policing. Here in Florida, the state house has just unanimously passed a bill that would require more training for law enforcement. It also bans chokeholds, and it requires police departments and sheriff's offices to keep data on how their officers use force. On today's show, you'll hear three perspectives on how a year of activism has or hasn't changed policing. Todd Garrison is police chief in Northport. And after the guilty verdict in the Chauvin trial, he posted a statement on Twitter saying he hoped the jury's decision would help restore faith in law enforcement. He went on to say, quote, we will not forget the oath we swore and will continue to serve this great city with humility, dignity, respect and compassion. I talked to Garrison about his statement and how his department has changed over the last year. Chief, the reason we wanted to speak to you is uh, we saw the, the, the statement that your police department put out on, uh, on Twitter after the Chauvin verdict. And just to start off, wh- why was it important for you as, as a department to, uh, uh, to make a statement, make some kind of reaction uh, once the, the verdict was reached?
1: Well, initially when this incident happened, I was one of the first in the area to also come out and uh, make a public statement. So I felt that it was important that as I watched things uh, progress over the last year, that it was important that upon the conclusion of this trial that I came out and made a statement. And I wanted my community to know that we're listening and paying attention to what's going on around the world.
0: How have you been listening to your, your community over, over the past year in terms of how you interact with, uh, with them on a daily basis?
1: Well, we've had several uh, meetings and focus group discussions with different members of the community trying to work on that whole communication gap, um, try to restore some of the, the uh, faith or trust in law enforcement. Can you give an example of how you've tried to close that gap? Just by being open to listening to what their perspectives are on things and having open dialogue to where I can also show the law enforcement perspective side. You know, just because something happens and it might look ugly doesn't necessarily mean it's the wrong thing. Um, And I think it's both sides need to understand that have that understanding of why things happen and why they may look the way they do. But increasing that whole communication gap is is helping us here in our community, I think.
0: Do you think it's made, particularly with, with communities of color, people of color, do you think maybe it's, it's shrunk that gap a little bit just in terms of being able to do that work and being able to reach out to people?
1: I can tell you from some of the feedback I've gotten from some of those groups is that, yes, by our interaction and our willingness to meet and have open dialogue and discussion, it has helped the relationship here in in our community with our police department.
0: How do you think that attitude has changed over just over your law enforcement career in terms of how Police interact with 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 the community. Do you think that it's uh, it evolved in any significant way, just in your your time as a law enforcement officer?
1: Definitely. Think I'm I'm entering my thirtieth year in law enforcement. Um, you know, at, at the early stages of my career, I had the whole Rodney King incident. Um, so I've seen even in my time, it evolved tremendously as far as the focus on community oriented policing and and the way we interact and have dialogue with the community, I've seen it make great strides from when I've started. My garrison family has been in the law enforcement business since 1925. So I'm third-generation law enforcement, and I can tell you sitting around you know the dinner table with the multi-generations of the garrison family involved in this line of work, it's changed tremendously since... My grandfather started policing the streets of Detroit in 1925.
0: I know there's some talk in uh, in Tallahassee of some reforms to to police in Florida. Um, what's what's your take on those proposals? Or are those things that you support?
1: A lot of the things that that they're proposing, we've already implemented here at the Northport Police Department. So you know, I'm not naive to the fact that we need to look at policing. And we need to make improvements where improvements need to be made. Um, We're not perfect. And what people need to realize is there's a human side to our job and errors are going to happen and mistakes are going to happen. But we do need to do better in, in certain areas. And I have been out front and open to having those dialogue and discussion with community members to try to bridge those gaps, and make the improvements where we need to.
0: And I know there's talk of different changes on the federal level, including uh, possibly ending uh, qualified immunity for officers. Do you think that that's something that should happen?
1: Absolutely not. I I am wholeheartedly opposed to losing qualified immunity for law enforcement. People need to realize that once that is lost, you're going to have a tremendous time trying to recruit anybody to come in and do this job without that.
0: What other changes would you like to see, or even if it's changes in how law enforcement are, are, are perceived? I mean, you mentioned recruitment there. I mean, probably one of the issues for police departments, not necessarily with your agency, but with elsewhere, is having, a, having an agency that looks like the community. What, what kind of changes do you think that, that, that still need to happen that maybe aren't being discussed?
1: Well, I think there needs to be a focus on having um, departments that are reflective of their communities. Um, It is a very difficult task trying to um, engage um, certain communities to be involved in their police department. So I'm definitely open for those type of discussions on how we can diversify our workforces. Uh, But this is a problem throughout the entire United States. Everybody's coming to the table with the same question as, how do we do this? And nobody's come up with the, the right answer yet. So it's a struggle in our profession to actually recruit a well-diversified workforce.
0: Well, uh, thanks again for making time for us. We, uh, we appreciate it. Anytime. Take care. That was Northport Police Chief Todd Garrison. Kenny Irby is a St. Petersburg pastor and director of community intervention and juvenile outreach for St. Petersburg police. We spoke via Zoom. He says his initial reaction to the verdict was one of relief. And he says he's cautiously optimistic about lasting change. What went through your mind uh, last Tuesday when you heard the uh, the guilty verdicts in the Chauvin trial?
2: Well, I'll be real honest with you. Um, it brought tears bittersweet tears to my heart and eyes because for in a very real way, it was a needed victory uh, in this country because of the unrest that we 've experienced for the last year in the George Floyd trial uh, and the protests that uh, followed his murder, uh, and at the same time it was a it was a confirmation of justice and a pointer towards the possibilities that this country can reach, that a a just verdict is possible uh, in our country for a black man.
0: Do you see those changes in, you know, in in the almost the year since George Floyd's murder in terms of how law enforcement, how people in the community kind of see each other and see the, the changes that you think need to be made?
2: Yes, I think it, it is a, a foreshadowing of, of great possibilities of, of transformative change in our legal system uh, and in this society at large in terms of challenging one of the most embedded um, structures of racism, uh, and that's the current model of, of policing
0: uh, in
2: Black and brown
0: communities. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your work in in St. Petersburg and particularly with the police department. I wonder how has has that changed in any way over the past year?
2: Oh, yeah, it's it it has uh, in large and small ways. um, It's been for us and I'm I'm really privileged to say that it has been an affirmation in uh, the transformative culture, cultural change that Chief uh, Tony Holloway had already started to implement. In terms of having a law enforcement agency that was uh, a transparent uh, about its actions and b uh, focused on guardianship over gladiator, uh, a mentality and approach in terms of building relationships uh, with the community and a structure that's based on helping as opposed to the arresting structure that has long Manifested itself in particularly
0: southern cities and at large across America. Thinking about that that community building that you talked about, are there any particular examples that come to mind where maybe the, the St. Pete Police Department you think has done a has done something exemplary over the past year in terms of doing that outreach, doing that community building?
2: Well, in this particular period that we're talking about, since the since the summer of discontent. Um, and George Floyd's murder, we had already uh, began to envision and to attempt to uh, implement a program that focused on mental health challenges in our community. Uh, And so we have created our call program, our Community Assistance Life Liaison Program, where we defer the addition of of more sworn police officers and uh, move those FTEs and, the, and that funding to create a partnership with the Gulf Coast Jewish Families and Community Services Group to employ a group of clinicians that would respond to nonviolent mental health calls, issues of truancy, issues of substance abuse, where police officers were not the best suited uh, response for uh, the initial call. And this has been a radical approach um, for us to to really respond to the needs in our community that have been just by attrition added to the responsibility of law enforcement. Because when people need help, they call 911. Uh, and the police department has been historically tasked with responding to areas of need that they weren't most expert at.
0: How do you think police uh, officers in St. Petersburg have responded to that kind of change?
2: I think by and large, the rank and file and, and senior command staff have, have embraced it. And as in any other institution, there are elements of individuals that Chief Holloway uh, has been adamant about saying, this might not be the place for you if you are not in alignment with the philosophy and the attitude of, of community servants as a primary role of law enforcement.
0: I was listening to an interview the other day with the police chief in, in Bellevue, Washington, which is just outside Seattle. And he was talking about they're, they're trying a similar approach as what you're doing in St. Petersburg. And something that he said is uh, when he was talking with city officials about this is if we're successful in this approach, you're going to see crime rates go up. And what he meant by that is people in black and brown communities are going to feel more comfortable about calling the police when they see crime than maybe they had been in the past when it had been more of a, I think the the, the word you used was gladiator type situation with, with law enforcement. I wonder if you're getting to a point in St. Petersburg with the black and brown communities there where you can reach that point where maybe they feel more comfortable about calling the police when they do see crime in their community versus before when it was more of this kind of adversarial relationship with, with law enforcement.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, but I don't think that there's a, that that's a necessary corollary that crime rates will go up because more people are calling. I think the, the goal for us is to to be efficient in our crime prevention as well as our crime response uh, and the solving of cases you know, does increase when the community responds uh, because they feel a trusting relationship with law enforcement. You know, case in point, we've had our 14 homicides in the city and they have been all cases that are not police involvement, police shootings or police violence or any kind of police brutality. This is the the challenge we face in America uh, where we have so many guns and the lack of a moral compass and efficient conflict resolution skills, where instead of de-escalating and, and talking through our issues, the resolution is to grab a firearm and, uh, in, in these cases, end lives. And so these are, those are not law enforcement matters. Those are societal matters. Um, what we've done is, and what we're doing, is Every cadet come, coming into the agency is being armed with education and exposure to understanding the complexity of the community and meeting people and uh, being given the responsibility that you shall be engaged with your community. It's not, a, it's not an option. It is a requirement for effective
0: uh, and thorough community law enforcement. What changes do you think still still need to be made, either at the city level county level, state level
2: well i mean that 's the, that's the big issue. Uh, the biggest issue that, that that I see as a civilian director in the in the police department in the chief's unit, and then what i 've learned uh, not only in these six years but over my time being involved with law enforcement for outreach purposes in a community and previously as a journalist. Um, is that we need to have greater clarity about law enforcement expectations and governmental oversight, uh, which is a term that, you know, nobody wants to have oversight anymore. You know, all of the deregulations of the last 20 years, um, I think has hurt us in terms of having uh, a national strategy around law enforcement and uh, response expectations.
0: What's on your mind as we head toward not just the first anniversary of George Floyd's murder, but also what came after the summer of discontent, as you called it, the summer of protests and, and calling out police and calling out other uh, predominantly white institutions for problems that have been going back decades, if not longer?
2: Well, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I, um, as I said, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, as a person of faith, as a pastor, you know, I do believe that the indomitable tenacity of the human spirit can overcome any challenge that's placed before us. Um, And I've seen, I've seen more evidence, I'll phrase it this way, of progress. We're not where uh, we want to be, uh, but, in this moment, I thank God that we 're not where we used to be, and uh, we have some examples of accountability uh, coming out of the George Floyd case where fellow law enforcement uh, representatives were willing to testify based on the facts and human dignity um, and so, moving forward, I think we you know we have to understand that because of the society. Uh, that we live in and the age that we live in, there will be a need to fight criminality in our communities uh, and in our nation. And that's what law enforcement's role is. uh, And a partnership between people in the society and those sworn to serve and protect um, leads to a a more safe and a more harmonious community. And I I, I believe that now uh, that BIPOC people uh, now have a voice Um, and are engaged in civil disobedience, because that's what the protest is, which is a part of our country, is the the ability to protest uh, and to do that in a peaceful uh, and organized manner. I think that that leads to a society that will allow us to face the structural racism that has added to all of the divisions uh, in this country going back to the original sin of
0: slavery. All right, Reverend, I think that's it for my questions. Anything else uh, you'd like to say? Anything that I didn't ask you about that uh, that you think I should? Add?
2: Well, you know, I, I've said uh, in, in other media outlets and in other forums that the, the representation of George Floyd's uh, the verdict for his family is huge uh, and it allows a family to heal. Uh, and we also have to look at how we have to implement structures and strategies that are that are based on love, and based on truth and fairness in our society. Um, and we can't get too overly excited about this this one case because we've got a lot of work ahead of us. Uh,
0: Reverend, thanks so much for for chatting with us today. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Appreciate you. Always a pleasure. Kenny Irby is Director of Community Intervention and Juvenile Outreach for the St. Petersburg Police Department. He's also pastor of Historic Bethel AME Church. This is Florida Matters. Our program continues in just a moment. You're listening to Florida Matters on WUSF 89.7. I'm Bradley George. Black Lives Matter has been on the front lines of police protests since George Floyd's murder. The local chapter in Pasco County faced counter protesters waving Trump signs and Confederate flags. Newport Ritchie police fined Black Lives Matter activist Christina Bonetta for using a megaphone, but the charges were later dropped. I spoke with Bonetta via Zoom. What's been on your mind the last week since the since the verdict in the in the Chauvin case?
3: Honestly, just been a sad couple weeks to be honest with everything between you know what happened during after before you know the trial with police murders that have happened it's just I mean it's hard to really have like all this joy in the verdict you know like it's nice like oh you know but with all the injustice that has continued to go on and is continuing to go on and that has in the past it like hardly feels like anything when it's like one in a million you know I've been in that in-between mode of like, that's great. And then also just very like, um, like sad, like in like a mourning phase, I guess you could say right now.
0: Right. Because I think the thing that I hear again and again is that it's hard to be joyful because George Floyd is still dead. Right. And there are so many other, other cases with similar outcomes where there wasn't this kind of verdict or there wasn't this kind of um, outcome for his family or for the community or for Any other person in this kind of situation. Exactly. So just looking back over this, this past year, as there have been, you know, countless protests all over the country that started with George Floyd's murder, and it's continued on other issues on other police killings. Do you feel with your group with Black Lives Matter and Pasco, if there's been any real kind of political impact in terms of the sheriff's department, police departments, county commission, city council, et cetera, mm-hmm. responding to the Black Lives Matter message and wanting to to make changes.
3: I will say with the police department themselves and the city council, like I have spoke with the city manager, Debbie Mans in Newport Ritchie, and we've have talked about certain things like implementing programs like CAHOOTS and just a, a list of different things. I don't feel per se that they're very um It's We're not communicating. We're like this little mosquito that's a little pest and they just keep wanting to swat us away, but we're not going away. So they keep trying to appease us like here and there, like, let's have a meeting. But really, it seems that nothing's coming of it. But I will say... Our group being here and doing what we're doing, has it made um, an impact? Definitely. And why? Because eyes are on Pasco County now. There's been other people that are pulling records, pulling investigations. We've got police officers fired you know, for doing things they shouldn't be doing. You know, um, Officer uh, Joseph Valente broke a man's jaw as a um, as a rookie. Another officer, uh, Corey Oliver, actually leaked our protest information when we were getting threats um, last summer to basically the, the right wing extremists, you could say. Long story short, um, directly with like the police officers in City Hall, do I feel like something's, are they gonna do something? No, not necessarily but the community is coming together and it's empowering them and people are starting to speak up. You know, um, different black women and black people in the community where there's not very many black people and they felt very alone here to come into the community and talk about their fears and how they feel. So it almost makes you want to cry because we've built community that wasn't here, you know? And again, we've hardly been doing this for a year. We have a long ways to go, but from where Pasco was to where it can be, it is major, but we are making community and we are trying to help the houseless and the mentally ill. And we are trying to do our best for the people and not just black people, all people, there's more white people here anyway. So it's about community, no matter what skin color you are, you know? So
0: how would you like to see this, this community that you've built evolve and change? You know, if we have this conversation, if I come back to you six months, a year from now, what do you think that that Black Lives Matter community in Pasco looks like?
3: Definitely what I really haven't, what I've been talking to the city manager about and I think is important. And again, there's a lot of pros and cons and there's a lot of worries with it. And it doesn't have to be the program cahoots, but something, mm-hmm. something like it. Because the thing is, is police officers are not trained to deal with people with mental illness the Black community suffers from mental illness just as much. They're just not being treated for it. And when they have it, their life's at risk. So I want to see Pasco have an alternative. You know, with Cahoots, they're not armed. They've been around for 20 plus years and they've never had a serious injury or death. They help with counseling, transportation, they have resources for the houseless, just something where there's an alternative than having to call a police officer when most Black folks and people of color are scared to call police officers anyway, in the first place. I had a a pretty crazy relationship one time, and I always feel like as a Black woman, calling the police when you're with a white man You might always look like the aggressor. You're not going to necessarily be protected like you should. And that's what pretty much happened to me when I did. And it kind of taught me we need alternatives. We need someone to call that we feel like that is going to protect us. And again, all people, whether you're Black, white, Puerto Rican, if someone is going through a crisis, we need someone else to call than police that don't necessarily help with these situations. You know, they tend to make them worse, if anything. So I want to see, you know, I want to see more programs for the houseless, more more places they can go and not just places just to feed them and close them and kick them out, but to help them progress, you know, mm-hmm. help them get a job, help them have confidence in themselves.
0: My last question for you. Um, I know you've gotten a lot of of media requests over the past week, you know, asking in particular your reaction to the, to the, to the Chauvin verdict, what do mm-hmm. you think media can do to cover this moment better in particular black lives matter issues around policing in black and brown communities what what would you like to see from local media that that maybe you haven't seen
3: honestly it's really hard to say with that because the media that I know for the local media that I talk to like they're really on point but, but i i could say for the major you know media i could say i would really want them to express a lot that this is this is not this is not justice for the whole black community this is just what's supposed to happen when a man murders someone in cold blood they should just have to be convicted it shouldn't take 50 states and 19 countries to protest for a black man to get a justice in america like that's just insane yeah. so You know, and I don't want to take away either from the black community, because I know for a lot of um, I have all different kind of friends from different places and backgrounds. So I know a lot of them. This is this is major. This is a win for them. This is this is wonderful. This feels like justice. And I don't want to take that away because it is a great thing that he got convicted on all charges. Like my heart would have been devastated if not. It's just it's not enough. Right. And it's obviously not enough because in the same week, look what happened.
0: Well, Christina, again, thank you so much um, for making time for us. And yeah, no, uh, thank
3: you, I appreciate
0: it. I'm sure we will uh, we'll talk again at some point. So,
3: yes, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening.
0: I hope you do too. Take care.
3: Thank you so much. Bye bye.
0: Christina Bonetta is a Black Lives Matter activist in Pasco County. You heard her refer to something called CAHOOTS. It stands for Crisis Assistance Helping Out on the Streets. The city of Eugene, Oregon, started the program in 1989. You can learn more about it at WUSFnews.org. That's Florida Matters for this week. Donora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Thank you for listening.